If you would, make your way in and we'll lift up our voices as we sing victory in Jesus. You may remain seated. I heard an old, old story.
this morning. I was just mentioning to the Bible Hour at 9.30 that, um, you know, a year ago at this time, we were all live streaming. So to have you compared to last year at this time, you're a crowd. Because John and I were coming here and I had a couple of people running the soundboard and a couple of people doing the song service. And um, it was about maybe four to six people in here. So I am very grateful for you to be in the Lord's house. And I know that lots of our folks are live streaming and I'm very grateful that you are watching and worshiping with us. But I do want you to know that uh, it is good to be in God's house with God's people. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we could come and worship you this morning. I pray that you would watch over our church family even this morning as I got phone calls of folks who have been exposed or who have popped up positive for COVID. I pray that you would be with them, that they would have mild symptoms, that soon they would be on their feet. I do pray for those who are facing much more serious things. I know that uh, Ashley's granddad down in Louisiana, as he is uh, in the intensive care unit with COVID, I pray that you'd be with him. I pray for the young man uh, the, uh, who's on the staff at my daughter Joy's church. He's in the intensive care unit with COVID. Lord, so I know that there are lots of folks who have been very, very uh, just critically impacted by COVID. I lift them up before you. I pray for our nation. I pray for our church family. I'm so thankful that most of them have had very mild cases. and. I pray that you'd continue to watch over us, put a hedge about us. Please be with our worship service this morning, that in every way we might encourage one another in song and prayer, in looking into your holy word, that we might exalt you and honor you, Lord, by coming to worship. And please be with our church family, both near and far, that you would encourage them through your scriptures, that they might draw nearer to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Brother John? Uh, I'd like to invite you, if you are able to, please stand. And together we're going to lift up our voices again as we sing before the throne of God above. And all I have is Christ. Thank you. 
Jesus. Come, you anxious soul, now and see. There is perfect love and comfort in your tears. Rest here in his wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Satisfy, he is all that I need. May it be. if you would please and turn with me to 1st Peter in your New Testament we're going to go to chapter 2 I'm going to take us down to verse 11 and the title of our message this morning is strangers and pilgrims of God you and I traveling through this life traveling through this land we are strangers and pilgrims of God representing him everywhere we go and in everything we do. And when we come to this particular text, he is talking to us as those very 
strangers and pilgrims. And he's going to lay some things out for us that we might understand how we should represent him. Because as we go forth, even today, when we leave this place and go out into our community, we go to represent our God. So listen as I read to you 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And actually tonight, I'm going to preach on verses 15 on down. So you want to be sure and um, set your DVR or hire one of the kids to put in a VHS tape and hit record tonight so that you have both this morning and this evening's message to cover the same text. But all of that stuff is too complicated, isn't it, Kathy? Because we don't do VHS tapes anymore, do we? Do you? No? You have some still. And eight tracks? You still have some eight tracks? No eight tracks? Kathy has eight tracks. But I bet you don't have an eight track player. You do! All right. Man, we've got some retro folks in here. And it's good to see you smile. You know, because boy, I'm telling you what, we need to be smiling, don't we? You know, the, uh, you can't change what's happening around us. None of us is going to change the circumstance of this uh, Omicron or any of these other things. You're not going to change that. But what you can change is you. How you look at it, how you deal with it, how you face each day. And that's exactly what the Lord's doing in this particular text. You and I have given, are given one life to live. And as we journey through this life, we must always remember that it is a life that represents him. So listen as I read to you 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 down through 14. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, or for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. So as we look at these, this text, we find him directly speaking to you and I that are strangers and pilgrims. And you might raise your hand and you might say, Pastor, I'm not a stranger or a pilgrim. I'm a U.S. citizen. Yes, you are, but your home is not here. The Bible tells us we have a heavenly home prepared not by man's hands, but by the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ told us himself. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would tell you. So you and I, even as U.S. citizens, are pilgrims and strangers in this world because we have a heavenly home. When we come down into this text, he's given us some good advice. He starts off there in verse 11 by telling us to address the concern of fleshly lusts. Look, listen again what he says in verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your souls. 
So he's not talking about the normal desires of life. He's not talking about that at lunch, you know, you begin to start thinking about your bologna sandwich with cheese and mustard that's in your lunchbox. You know, I'm not saying that you're lusting after it, but he's not talking about even those simple desires of, boy, I can't wait till I get to John ramen every day for lunch. I'm serious. Hannah, take care of that problem. It's an addiction. So he goes, he gets that little packet, he breaks it up, boils the water. I didn't, I wondered why he was shutting his door and hiding in the back room and eating it. Now I know. But God is not talking to us about the normal desires of life. He's talking about those things in our life that are harmful to us. Those things that war against us. Every generation faces them. In fact, look with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to what this text says. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Each of us in our lives, there are those desires and lusts that pull at us. They are weights in our lives that hinder our Christian race as we go to live for the Lord. In fact, they war against us. In James chapter 4, if you'll look over with me, James chapter 4, verses 1 down through 3, listen to what it says. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So here we see whether it's James or 1 Peter, or whether we're looking in the book of Hebrews or the Gospels. The Bible warns us about those things in our lives that war against our soul. Those lusts that would pull us down, discourage us, stumble us in our Christian walk. We have to choose to submit to God. In fact, that's what James continues to go on to say to us in James chapter 4. Look down with me if you would at verses 6 and 7. It says, but he giveth more grace before he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the Lord is warning us as strangers and pilgrims in this land. He's saying, look in your life. If there are those things that pull at you and weigh at you, those lusts of the flesh, those carnal things that would damage you and hurt you. He's saying, obey God and flee those things. Push them out of your life. Abstain from them. Don't let them be a part of you. Don't even let them begin to get a hook into you. You know, there are certain things that we have to think ahead to prevent from happening, don't we? I was talking to my nephew the other day on the phone. We were talking about my father, who's long ago passed away. My nephew was reflecting on my father taking him ice fishing. And my dad was a Yankee to the core. Pretty hard-nosed. You've probably known Yankees like that. <laughs> 
And so dad, from the very youngest age, I can remember ice fishing with him. And he'd always tell me, Tim, if you're going to play with the chisel, put the loop around your, your wrist. And we'd go out and I would, I would cut the holes because I, I love to do that. In fact, when I was a kid and we would go ice fishing, I would always cut an aquarium in the ice. We'd go ahead and I'd cut a big square and leave about a half an inch of ice on the bottom. And through the day, as we caught fish, you know, I'd put a little hole so it would fill with water and I'd watch the fish in there. But he'd always tell me, Tim, whatever you do, Leave that strap on your wrist when you're using the chisel. So my nephew told me, he said, yeah, I was fishing with Gramp one time. And, and he said, I was out there cutting the hole and funk, the chisel went all the way to the bottom of Long Pond. He said, boy, I hated going and tell dad I did that. My dad, his granddad. He said, I went over to Gramp and I told him, Gramp, I lost the chisel. And my father looked at him. He was so good to him because he was his grandson. Because <laughs> it would not have gone this smoothly for me. But he went and he told him, he says, Gramp, I dropped the chisel through the ice. And my father looked at him and said, didn't you put the strap on your wrist? See, it wouldn't have gone that well for me. But you know, all it would have taken was that little preparation. That little precaution, and that wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have lost the chisel, would he? There are things in our lives all the time that if we take that little extra step, if we take that little precaution, then those things that harm us in our lives would never come on us. And that's what he's wanting us as pilgrims and strangers. He's saying, look at, the, look at your life. He's not talking about bologna sandwiches or yam. What do you call that stuff? Ramen. ramen, ramen. He's talking about things that harm us and hurt us. He's saying, look at those things and abstain from them. Yes, they war against you. Take the steps of precaution to not invite them into your lives. Because we are strangers and pilgrims in this land. And the things we do and the way we live all reflects on the God we love. So he comes down a little bit farther in our text. Look at what he goes on to say to us. So he wants us to look at those fleshly lusts, abstain from them, learn to get away from them because they war against us. Verse 12, he says, having your conversation and the word conversation in old English means your lifestyle. Your practice of life, the reflection of who you are. He says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. You and I need to be honest people in all our, do our doings. I, uh, I was listening to the news this week and they were talking about Congress. Uh, they were talking about these senators and all these folks who go into office and they make less than $200,000 a year, but somehow when they come out, they're worth 50 or 60 or $100 million. And they say, how does this happen? And so they were giving some examples of how, well, they're, they're in, in the Senate or wherever they are, and they're talking about this bill that's gonna pass, and, and they think to themselves, hmm, if I invest in that company that we're gonna go ahead and encourage here, 
maybe I could make a profit of 20 or 30 million dollars. And they gave some examples of how that goes on. That's really not. That's, do you know what that's called? Inside trading. And for you and I, if we do insider trading, do you know what happens to us? We go to jail. Uh, who was the lady who sells pots and pans and stuff? Martha Stewart. That's who it was. Uh, she went to jail for some minor insider trading. These people here, they're wheeling and dealing, dealing for millions. God tells us, he says, be honest. If you're going to be a stranger, a pilgrim in this land, looking to your heavenly home, he says, be honest. Be a person who looks and says to themselves, that's not right. I can't do that. Even if you think you can get away with it. Or maybe you begin to think you're the exception. Or maybe you begin to think you work for the government and you're above the law. You need to say no. I need to be honest. And that's, it's a simple principle. A principle that we're taught in kindergarten, aren't we? Preschool. The simple basic truths of life where we learn those things. And he's telling us here. He's saying, be honest in your lifestyle. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You and I have an opportunity to, instead of doing that which is wrong, do that which is right. Do that which is honest as we prove ourselves through our good works. And I know the world we live in today mocks and ridicules. They point and they say, oh, you're such a do-gooder. Well, I have to be honest with you. I would far rather be a do-gooder than be that person sitting in that prison house. I go ahead and I drive on 140 going to see my daughter over in New York. And as I drive by that great big penitentiary right off of the highway, I more than once have looked at Sandra Joe and said, I am so grateful I have never spent one night there. And I'm serious as a heart attack. I absolutely am so grateful that my life didn't turn that direction or that direction and find myself in that situation. So you and I were challenged by God and told, be honest in your dealings. Do good works. It is by design. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. You and I preordained that if we're a child of God, we should do good works. In fact, it's commanded by Christ. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, I would rather be called a do-gooder following the works of Christ than to go ahead and try to make a phone call to get bail. I would much rather serve the Lord and strive towards the thing that he created me to do, which is to do good works. The Apostle Paul, he expects it of those who are Christians. Titus chapter 3 verse 8 says, This is a faithful saying. 
And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. You and I need to strive to live an honest life doing good works. So as we look at this text, I want you to go back with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, and listen as he continues on down. I'm going to read to you it again. It says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, and I want you to note, people do watch, people do know how we live, your neighbors, your friends, your children, your parents, they see, they know. And he says, as they watch and behold your life, they should see good works. And why? Look at the last part of verse 12. Glorifying God in the day of visitation. That they might one day look and say, yes, those Christians, they did do right. They were not hypocrites. They did not say one thing and do another. But they really did strive to do right. So when they stand before God, they might give testimony that you and I truly lived an honest lifestyle. That, that should be our desire. We are strangers, pilgrims in this land, journeying through. And the Bible teaches us our life is but a vapor. It appears for a time it's gone. We only have one life to live. So live that life that we might honor the Lord. Look with me as he goes down into verses 13 and 14, because he gets pretty personal here. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? For the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So he's talking to you and I, and he says to us, we need to obey the laws of the land that we're in. And why do we do it? Do we do it for ourselves? Well, that's not a bad reason. I'd rather be free than in jail, that's for sure. But he's saying, really, the reason we obey the laws of the land are for the glory of God. Because we're his children. And as his children, it should be that our behavior reflects on him in an honorable way. He's very specific, in fact, when you read this. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Now, remember he's talking in the time of the Roman Empire. The Romans had very strict laws, many laws. And some of them were not convenient laws. Because most of these people were people who were subjugated by a conquering army. So when we start reading these texts, we understand that these folks lived under an oppressive government who had conquered their land. One of the laws of their land was that if a Roman soldier came up to you and asked you, or they didn't really ask, they told you. They could come up and they could say to you, I need you to carry my gear. And by Roman law, you were required to carry it one mile. And you know how every once in a while you hear somebody say, go the extra mile. It comes from the Bible that tells us 
go the second mile. So the law was you had to carry it for one mile. But the Bible teaches us go the extra mile. Why? Because we as citizens of heaven are journeying through this land representing our God. So he says, go the extra mile. Go one step farther. Yes, be honest. Obey the laws of the land. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Why? For the Lord's sake. And then he starts to break it down because I think he's thinking, you know, the Lord knows the heart of people. Don't people make excuses? They think to themselves, oh, he doesn't mean I need to obey the, not the president, not the king, not the Kaiser, not the whoever. But he specifically says, whether it be to the king as supreme. Because you and I might, we, you know, we might, we might make an excuse. And we might say, well, I don't need to obey the laws of this president. I didn't vote for him. He's not my president. Whether it be the one who's in office now or the one who was in office before or five years or 10 years or 20 years ago. It becomes very easy to excuse it and say, well, I don't need to obey the laws of the land. I didn't, I didn't vote for that guy. And God says, mm, remember, you're just a pilgrim. You're a stranger in this land. You're passing through. Your heavenly home is above. He says, you need to obey the laws of the land. Now, he's not talking about in contradiction against God. Because we know that the apostles themselves were commanded, don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they did it anyways. Because once the laws of the land contradicts the laws of God, we have to obey God. But as long as the laws are not contradicting God, we should obey them. Yes, even the king, even if we didn't put the king into power. Then he goes on in verse 14, listen to what he says. Or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So why would he do that? Why would he tell us obey all the laws of the king and then of the governor? Because under the Roman Empire, they had, not only did they have the Caesars, they had the kings, and then they had the governors. And these were all different levels of authority over the people. And he's saying, come right on down to your local governor. He says, you need to obey the laws of the land. And that is because people easily find excuses to break the law. They might say, well, I know that governor. He's not, he's not honest himself. You know, he, he's wheeling and dealing in this or that or this or that. He says, no, 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 wait. He's appointed to do the job he's doing. He's responsible for his own doings. You and I are responsible for our own doings. And he says, obey the laws. Yes, the laws of Caesar, king, even governor. Those local things that impact us in our lives. Federal, state, local. These laws have a purpose. In fact, he tells us in the scriptures here. He says these laws are there to punish evildoers in verse 14. Or to praise those that do well. And we need to be careful. 
that we don't begin to categorize. Because if we're not careful, we do. We say, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I like that law. I'm not sure that law is a good law. Well, praise the Lord, we live in a country where we can vote and we can vote out leaders and all that stuff. But you still have to obey the laws of the land until you can change them. He comes down here and I want you to listen to what he says as we look into verse 14. Or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. It should be that we strive as pilgrims and strangers in this land to be people who bring praise. It should be that we're the kind of people who generate praise. We need to generate that which is positive and that which is right. We should work and strive towards that. We are committed to obey God because we're the children of God. Look with me, if you would, over to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. It says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now this is the Lord Jesus Christ teaching us what is the greatest commandment. He's teaching us what we should do and how we should obey. So he's telling us to love the Lord our God with all our heart with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and our neighbor, even as ourself. You see, that's part of being a good citizen, a good citizen of heaven, and a good citizen of this earth. You and I, as we travel through this land, it should be that we reflect at all times our passion for God. Yes, there are things that we need to flee. Those flesh, fleshly lusts that get us in trouble, that harm us, that tear us apart. We need to focus on an honest life. And we need to obey the laws of the land. Because we're pilgrims. We're sojourning through. Right now our country is in a massive de debate about illegal aliens. People coming across the border with pro without proper documentation. Now listen, if all those people came across and were phenomenal citizens, most people would say, well, not such a big deal. But because we have so many problems, it stirs up difficulty, conflict, struggle, doesn't it? People are conflicted within themselves. Well, is this good or is this bad? It's why we see it as such a polarizing thing. You and I, we don't want to create that kind of polarizing attitude. We want to be people who folks say, you know what, they're good citizens. They're good. They, they are a good part of our community. As we sojourn through this life, we should be an addition to our community, not a negative. I see Joan sitting here. Joan, the town clerk for... 150 years? 
just about. But Joan, you know what? When I moved here, she was loved as the town clerk. And in all the years I've lived here, she is loved as the town clerk. Retired now. Not always an easy journey. It's never easy to be in a public kind of thing. But you know what? Loved in her job. Harmon taught at the high school for longer than Joan taught, you know, was at the town hall. At least 200 years. <laughs> and still today, people will mention, oh yeah, sure, I was in Harmon's class. They're happy about it. They don't say, oh, I had Mr. I've never had anybody look at me and say, oh, I had Mr. Boyce. What a nightmare. I never had that happen. You see, all of us as we journey through our life, whether we're a town clerk or a teacher, a farmer, whatever it is, whatever you do, we need to do it in such a way as Christians. We do it as unto the Lord. We do it in such a way as to be honest, obeying the laws of the land, avoiding those things that would hurt us and destroy us, that in every way we might glorify him. That is my challenge to you this morning. We've started this new year of 2022. We need to strive as we move into this year and complete it. We need to strive to honor God in all that we say and do. Let's bow our heads as we come to the end of the service. And as your head is bowed and as you look in your heart, it all starts with having Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Having him in your heart and in your soul. Receiving him that you might be a child of God. If today you've not done that, please talk to me before you leave. Let me open the Bible, answer your questions, pray with you. You that are live streaming the service, you can reach out anytime. Happy to talk to you. You and I that are Christians, as our head is bowed, are we striving to avoid those lusts of the flesh that would harm us and hurt us? Are we living an honest life? Are we striving to obey the laws of the land? In doing all those things, not to our glory and honor, but to his. Let's take just a moment, look in our hearts, and talk to the Lord about this. Father in heaven, as we look into our hearts and our souls, Lord, only you can reveal to us our struggles, our battles. You know, as we know, what those lusts of the flesh are. Those things that so easily beset us. Those things that trip us and make us fall. Heavenly Father, show us the victory. Show us the root of, of, of success, strength, that we might overcome. Father, help us to see where maybe, maybe we try to take shortcuts when it comes to the laws of the land, the place we live. Help us to recognize to do right, to honor you. 
as we go from this place this morning, I pray that you would help us to fully recognize that we really are just passing through and help us to look forward to that heavenly home. Thank you for going to prepare it for us. We praise you. We glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I believe Brother John has a closing song for us. And so I'm going to turn it over to him. Let's all stand and we'll lift up our voices as we sing. I stand amazed in the presence, my Savior's love. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I shall see will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love for me amen we're dismissed this morning